How's everybody doing? Okay? Come on. Uh, it's great to see you all. Um, for those who don't know me, I know I see a couple of faces, don't recognize that Mike. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. Um, and this morning we are continuing in the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts together, haven't we? I hope you've found bits challenging and God's been speaking to you. And this morning it's a juicy one. We're talking about Ananias and Sapphira. Um, and uh, and this is one of those stories that's quite unique in the New Testament. Um, and I would start by saying it's a very challenging story for many people. Uh, we read through the New Testament and it's a story that, which is rich with grace and mercy and forgiveness and God who is slow to anger, abounding in love, isn't he? And we see all that through the New Testament. It's incredible uh, story of salvation. Um, but the whole point of this series is it's been about what are we supposed to look like as a church? Like, I'm not talking about here in the book of Acts right now. I'm talking about you guys, us as a church in, the, in, in Darlington, 2022. What is it that we're called to look like, to be like? And, and this is one of those stories where I think in the book of Acts is a really powerful message for us from the early church. Um, so it's an important message it's a bit of a scary message, but it's all right. We're going to work it through together, and it's going to be good. Okay, I'm going to start by praying again real quick, and then we're going to go into the Scripture. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5. For those who have the Bibles, turn to that now, Acts chapter 5. And we're going from verses 1 to 11. But let me just pray real quick. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray more than anything right now, we would just have hearts that were open to receive from you. Lord God, it's so easy just to read a story, even if we've read it a thousand times, just to, to breeze through things. But Lord, actually, you, you're here to do business with us. Lord, would we be here to do business with you? Would we be willing for you to work a miracle in our life? Would we be truly expectant that you're going to move, truly expectant that you're going to speak? In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Okay. Acts chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down, <laughs> fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the, for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Sorry, the Spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So yeah, not the easiest of stories, is it, to go through? And 
<clears throat> and because this is a piece of scripture that was significant. This is a moment that's significant in the early church, but also, I believe, for us this morning. So you've got to stick with me through this. Okay. I want to start by talking about the fact that we live in a world that is submerged in lies. And if you've noticed this, they're all around us every day. Every day we put them onto our TV, these lies. I'm not talking about the news. I'm not one of these crazy people, but I'm talking about uh, adverts. Have you ever watched adverts? We have a, I have a game that I play when I watch adverts, and it sounds a bit sad, I know, but it's, when I watch it, I ask myself the question, what is the lie that this advert is telling me? <laughs> because all of them lie to us. Did you know that in 1961... Coca-Cola released an advert aimed at housewives to tell them to drink Coca-Cola in between meals because it would keep them thin. Did you know that? You can watch it on YouTube. It's brilliant. And they tell us, and Coca-Cola tell us from their completely unbiased research that they do, that the majority of people would rather drink Coca-Cola than any other Coke drink because it's the real thing. That's what they tell us from their unbiased research. Funny enough, Pepsi have some unbiased research as well that tells us that their Coke drink is the one that people would rather drink than other Cokes. Um, <clears throat> betting companies today will tell you without a doubt that it's funner, it's easier to win than ever before in, when you come to bet with them. What they fail to tell you is, is that more people are in debt today and addicted to betting than ever before. Toilet roll companies will tell you that their toilet roll is softer than a cloud. I don't need to go into that one. I just tell you it's not true. Advertisements have no problems in being deceitful towards you, to tell you a lie, to bend the truth. Uh, like, for example, anybody remember when cigarette companies used to tell you cigarettes were good for you? Anybody remember those advertisements? Marlboro, the, the cigarette company, actually once had released an advertisement Saying, if you want to listen up, men, if you want to be a real macho man, the picture of masculinity, all you had to do was smoke their cigarettes. They forget to tell you about the cancer and that you'll cough like a, a steam engine, but, but you'll look like a real man. Companies have no issue in altering the facts, bending reality in order to make themselves appear better than they really are. And the truth is, is that personally, we can do this too. Have you noticed this? Uh, personally, we can t exaggerate things or bend the truth or add color to things to make ourselves look better than we actually really are. Have you ever found yourself doing this when you're telling the story? You know, you worked 40 hours last week, but when you're telling the story, you tell the person you worked 45 hours because somehow you think they're going to be impressed by it. The fish that you caught that was a little one and a half pound tiddler all of a sudden turns into a three and a half pound monster that you caught. You went for a run. You didn't find it that difficult. You did a test. It wasn't that, it wasn't that hard, actually. When actually the reality is the run you would absolutely die in and wanted to, uh, the ground to swallow you up. And the test, you were anxious for weeks and it was really difficult. And you just managed to make it through. It's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to bend the truth, to just tell a little, just exaggerate things a little bit. And the truth is, is that I think some people in this room we would be surprised if we put our hands up and said, yeah, I found myself doing that and I don't even know why I do it. I'm quite a truthful person, but I find myself exaggerating um, at times. But you know, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, 
of him, we are called to be a people of truth, to speak in truth as we follow Jesus' example. Isaiah 53, verse 9, it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It's a prophecy made about Jesus that he fulfilled. There wasn't one moment that Jesus told a mistruth it wasn't one moment there was any deceit in what he said or any misleading in what he said. He spoke the truth at all times. In fact, he is the truth. And he's, Jesus spoke about where lies come from. In John 8, 44, he said, you, when he's talking to the religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil. This is real pick-me-up talk here from Jesus. <clears throat> and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, when he lies, he speaks his native language. Isn't that interesting? When the enemy lies, he's actually speaking his native tongue. That's, that's his language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Lies are from the devil. They are from the enemy. And we're going to look, uh, and, and that's what the framework I want to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira in. So with that in mind, let's look at this story, Ananias and Sapphira, and to understand this story completely, what we need to do is just jump back a little bit in the text to understand completely what's happening here. Um, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I hope you remember, otherwise I'm a really bad speaker, I spoke on Peter and John being arrested by the great Sanhedrin, and they stood and had a trial. Do you remember that? Hopefully you remember it. Nobody remembers it. Brilliant. Okay. Fills me with confidence in what I'm doing right now. They, they had a trial before the Sanhedrin, and they're released from that. They try and intimidate them in the early church. And what we see is they, they stand, they go back to the church, and Tom did, didn't Tom do a good job talking last week? His second ever sermon. It was brilliant. And he's talked about the Jesus community that we see in the early church. And they go back to their church. They tell them everything that's happened in the Sanhedrin. We see worship and the word being spoken and prayers come from it. And then we see the Holy Spirit being poured out. And this incredible scenes just happen. Nobody in the church was in need. Everybody was generously giving. And what we see is that um, is, is we see a number of people just giving. But one of the people that's, that is literally mentioned uh, in terms of what he does is the end of chapter 4, verse 36. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, that's what Barnabas means, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. To put it at the apostles' feet just means he's giving it to them to say, hey, use this how you see fit. Use this how you see God needing to use it. So this guy, Joseph, comes from Cyprus, probably got a nice tan, and, he's, and he comes with, he sold this land. He's, he brings all of the money, every single penny from what he sold, and he lays it down at the apostles' feet for them to use it to help the poor and the needy in and around the church. And what do they do? They, they give him a name. And, and it tells us a little bit about how they receive Joseph because he's obviously coming with all this money and they felt so incredible. Maybe they've been praying for God to give them what they need to meet the needs of the poor. And he brings this money in. So they rename him Barnabas, son of encouragement. And perhaps that's speaking into the encouragement it was to the church when he walked through the doors. And not only that, Barnabas would go on to play an important role in the early church and with the life and ministry of Paul. 
So that's a backdrop of what's just happened the verse before. The verse before, Joseph is renamed Barnabas. He's brought all this money from a sale. And then we go into chapter 5, verse 1. That's the backdrop. And we see the church <laughs> move from this beautiful place of simple, transparent generosity actually into this place of people being dark and deceitful in hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira went through all of the same physical um, actions. It was like an identical story to what had just happened the verse before. They had a piece of land which they sold and they bring the money to the apostles' feet in order to help those in the church who are needy and those around the church. Apart from one issue, they lied. They lied about the money. They tell the apostles that they have given every single penny that, from the land um, that they had sold. And, they, and, and in fact, they had decided between themselves to keep some of that money back, to keep the money for themselves. And Ananias and Sapphira and the early church are about to learn a very, very important lesson. Um, I want to share a little story with you. Um, some of you may not know, but I'm not actually originally a Darlingtonian. I love Darlington. But I actually grew up in, in Redcar, and it's a seaside town, as you know. And one week, um, when I was uh, in my early teens, <clears throat> um, me and a group of friends, we made up a new game. We headed down to the seaside. We lived like a street away from the beach. And we headed down to the beach, and there's these ramps that used to go down for the, for the tractors and, and the boats, the fishing boats. And there's these ramps that kind of used to go out and sideways. And then on the side of these ramps where the water would come in, where the tide was in, it was quite steep. It was quite a steep ramp. And me and my friends figured out a, a new cool game. We would wait until high tide, so the water was coming right up against the, the ramp. And we climbed over the, the kind of iron fence that was there. And just about four or five of us, uh, we would hold on to the, to, the, to the fence, one of us, and the rest of us would kind of do a, like a monkey chain down the ramp because we thought it was brilliant at, at being 13. And the ramp was kind of covered in green, slippy, algae, seaweed sort of stuff. And we thought it was brilliant. So one of us would hold onto the fence. The next one would kind of slide down the steep ramp but hold onto the next one's leg and so on and so forth. So you got about five teenagers in a row all thinking it's brilliant that this is what we were doing. Yeah, great, wasn't it? I had a lot of fun. Um, anyway, this one night we go down, it's high tide, and we go down, it's, it's loads of fun to do this, so we, we do the same thing again. And, and, and if somebody was to slide all the way down and miss the person's leg at the bottom, it was the best thing ever, because they'd get wet, right? Like they would go into the sea, get wet legs, all that type of thing, and they'd have to try and climb back up the slippy ramp. Until uh, this one night, we, it happens, one of our friends goes down, slides all the way down to the bottom, tries to grab hold of the feet, goes in the water, ha ha, it's hilarious until we realize, actually, the tide's actually way higher than it normally is tonight. And it's actually the waves are hitting uh, our friend quite hard. In fact, they're hitting him so hard, they're kind of pushing him up against the concrete ramp and really whacking him up against it. And the waves are going right up his back. It's not just on his ankles like it normally is. He's, he's really in the water. And he's unable to climb back up, and he keeps trying to get back up. And it's funny because... In the moment, you know, we're, we're stupid teenage boys, but actually our kind of laughter at him and our lightheartedness towards what's happening, all of a sudden, nobody's laughing anymore. 
we realize that our friend's actually really struggling. And every time he tries to climb up the ramp to grab hold of the person's foot, he keeps sliding back down. And every time he does, he's kind of hit with a barrage of waves again. And he's getting hit up against the ramp and he's getting, just getting tired out. And we realize in that moment, he's actually really struggling. He's really not doing well. And everything became focused in that moment in terms of what was happening. We managed to figure out a plan. We moved further down the ramp. We found a bit that was less slippy for him to climb up and we, and we got him out. It was okay. But something genuinely changed in some stupid teenage boys that night. We realized that we were actually dealing with a force that had unbelievable power. We messed around with the sea all the time, but that was the first time that we actually felt scared in terms of we didn't know what to do. And we started to show, we showed a respect, well, certainly I did, to the respect to the sea. And we never, ever played that game again, honestly. There was, there was something about the fear in that moment that taught us something that no, no book, no lesson in school could ever teach us. And, and, and moments like that in our lives that happen where perhaps fear or absolute shock as to what has just happened. Um, and, and maybe you've, you've got one of these stories that you can think of in your life. Maybe it was a near miss, some, some moment where actually something really bad could have just happened. Or perhaps it's a moment of panic where you think a loved one is in danger and this fear just strikes you or this, this adrenaline hits you where you realize how much danger somebody's in. Maybe you receive a health scare Something's happened and you, you're so worried about what the consequences might mean. And when this happens in our life, have you noticed, it causes us to take stock of our lives. Actually, it, it, our priorities change. We can be a, a, so aware of our weakness in those moments of what we're not capable of doing, what we're not able to do. And, and actually, we can reevaluate what's safe in our lives and actually what's ridiculously stupid, which we were, by the way, as those young lads. And the same thing is about to happen right now in the early church. They're going to see two people in Ananias and Sapphira who act foolishly and flippantly with a force that is dangerous when it's treated with no regard or no respect. So let's just look at this a little. The first thing I want to say is, is that uh, even though they decided to make this plan together, they, they don't go together, do they? So, so it uh, tells us very clearly at the beginning, they make a plan at home, Ananias and Sapphira, but then Ananias, he arrives alone to the apostles with the money. And Peter, he knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly what's happened. We don't know how he knows that, whether it was the Holy Spirit kind of tipped him off or whether he just knew how much he got for the field from somebody else. But Peter makes something really clear to Ananias. First thing is first, right? Ananias and Sapphira were never made or asked to sell what they had. They weren't asked to do that. There's no record of them being asked to sell what they had. They could have kept the land that they owned. They could have kept their wealth. You, you know, you want to keep all your money, you keep it. You want to be comfortable, you want to buy nice things, you want to go on holiday, you can do just that. Jesus doesn't teach against having material wealth. It's not something that he does. And he doesn't require that you have to sell everything in order to be accepted in the church. That is not what Jesus is about. Rather, what happens is, is he pours out his spirit. When we meet together, he pours out his spirit. And in the early church, what we see is people responding to have an encounter with the living God. 
And what happens from that point is there's this spontaneous generosity, supernatural generosity that comes about. And, and, and if they hadn't lied about how much money they were bringing, if they, if they just brought it to Peter, what they wanted to actually bring, and they said, look, we've sold some land as a family, and we've decided that this is how much we'd love to give to the church. We'd love to give to what you're doing. Amazing. That would have just been brilliant if they just said that. But what they claimed, like a verse before, remember, is that like Barnabas, that they had been moved by the Spirit to do this grand gesture, this incredible thing, and that they were doing the same thing that Barnabas did. And they lied not just to the church leaders, not to the people in the church, but they lied to God himself. And Proverbs 12, 22 tells us, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And, and, and at this lie that, that Ananias has told to the church, the apostles, to God, at this lie been exposed, Ananias, what happens to him? He drops dead on the ground. And, and now we're not told how he dies. Luke's a doctor, but he chooses not to tell us. It could have been a heart attack. It could have been shock like, in terms of what he'd done. But what we do know is, he, is Luke writes it in a way that he's, he's indicating to us that, first of all, <laughs> um, this is the one story where Christians sound like a mafia bosses. It's not a mafia boss situation here going on. This is a divine activity at work here. Ananias' body is taken away. It's buried. That's not uncommon. They buried bodies fast there because of the fact that it was hot. They buried bodies fast. But wow, can you imagine what the church felt like in that moment? Can you imagine what the apostles' reaction was to it? They were probably in shock as to what had just happened. The church themselves just thinking about what, what was going on in that moment. And then three hours later, when everything's just trying to start to sink in in terms of what's just happened, the young men have probably just turned back up with you know, dirt on their faces and exhausted from burying somebody. And yet three hours later, his wife shows up, Sapphira, and she, and she turns up. And can you imagine the feeling, the tension when she walks through? And everybody's thinking, oh, no, <laughs> how's this going to go? And, and, and perhaps... Sapphira was hoping that by this point, Ananias, her husband, maybe he'd received a new name. Maybe he'd had a round of applause. Maybe she was going to show up and have a round of applause from everybody in the community. But actually what she finds is pretty quickly, she's in a conversation with Peter, and Peter gives her an opportunity to be honest. To be honest. To tell the truth. He says, tell me. Is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Just tell the truth. But she lies. It was. That's how much we got. We didn't get more than that. And like her husband, she dies. Peter makes it real clear to the woman what she's done. How can you choose to test the Holy Spirit, he says. And when Peter says this, I can almost, I could, you could sense, the early church, you could sense that disappointment of like, please just be honest. How can you test God like this? Why are you doing this? And yet she does. And how does Luke finish his story? In verse 11, he says, a great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Like I said at the beginning, this isn't the easiest story to unpack, is it? It's not, especially when it's a story in the new covenant. 
It's hard for us almost to get our heads around. And some of you have probably read this story in your own time and gone, man, God, what are you doing here? I don't know how you can do that. Because the God that we know without any shadow of a doubt is one full of grace, full of mercy, forgiveness, is, is, is what we experience when we come to God. He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, isn't he? And yet, this is a story that almost feels at home in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. So what's going on here? Do we die as believers when we sin, even though we claim to follow Jesus? Well, I'm stood here on the stage, so that doesn't happen, just so you know. And, and actually, there would be no one left in this church if we died every time we sinned as believers, would, would they? But like the story about my friends and I having an encounter with the sea, we toyed with a force that was way more powerful than we could comprehend. Ananias and Sapphira, they acted in a, in a way that was premeditated. They planned it out. They chose together in calculated and a deceitful way to lie to the church, to lie to the apostles and to lie to God. And they did it motivated through pride. They wanted to appear generous. They wanted to give the impression that they were greater than they actually were. And they weren't honest and they weren't humble. And I feel that there's a real challenge in this for each and every one of us this morning. Remember what I said, you know, the book of Acts, the, re the whole reason we're going through this book is because we want to look at this book. As we come back out of the pandemic, as we meet together, as we sing together without masks, praise the Lord, as we sit together, actually not just in our family bubbles, but together, we wanted to take some time as a church, as an eldership, to look at and say, actually, who are we called to be as a community? And this is such an important lesson for each and every one of us, not just for the early church, but for you this morning, for me, that we are called to be a people who are truthful, to be a people who are open and honest with one another. Do we find ourselves, I'm asking you a question, do you find yourself engaging and exaggerating, adding truth, adding color to the truth of how things really were? Do you try and make out that you're better, you're stronger and you're more amazing than you actually really are? And we do this with people in church. I don't know if you've noticed, but we pretend that we pray more than we actually do. We pretend that we read our Bibles more than we actually really do. We pretend that our marriages are better than they actually really are. Or we pretend that we tithe when we actually don't give a penny. And we pretend and we pretend. And actually, we're called to be a people who are transparent and authentic with others, especially within our church family to share when we're struggling, to share and be open about the sin in our life, the things that we're, we're, we're finding difficult, to be open about the worries that we have or the insecurities that we carry or the pain that we're going through or the shame that we're carrying. Here's the thing. The enemy, he loves it when you're a liar. He loves it when you pretend. Let me just say that again. The enemy loves it when you put a mask on and you pretend that everything's okay. He loves it when we, when, we, when we play church. But we're called to be real and authentic. The enemy is a liar. And he'll lie to you again and again and again. But you see, Jesus, when he comes and he empowers us by the power of his spirit, 
to be truthful and humble with one another. Ananias and Sapphira, they, they fail to do this. But we are responsible before God and before one another to, to examine our hearts and our motives and to present our heart and our motives before God. Psalm 139, 23 to 24. David writes this, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that is the church family that we're not only called to be, but we have to be in order to grow. If we're going to look different from the world, look, we live in a world steeped in lies and people bending the truth to suit what they want, their motives, their heart. And we live in a world that will tell us what we want to hear if we buy what they want us to buy. We live in a world that will tell us what we want to hear if we get on board with their agenda and give them our vote. But we're called to be a people of truth, to follow the example of Jesus. And actually, in the community that we're called to be, that we must be to be different from the world, to be salt and light in this world, then we have to be honest and open and vulnerable with one another. It's really easy to say, really difficult to do. To not be a people who exaggerate how well we're doing, how much money we tithe, how much we pray or read our Bible, but to be open and honest. Actually, I'm struggling with this sin. Will you come and pray with me? Will you come and be with me? And as we share our individual struggles, as we bring our pain to one another, as we share it with our trusted friends, with the leadership, whoever it is, Actually, what we find, because the, here's the thing, the enemy will lie to you again and again and again, and he'll tell you when you're honest and you're open and you're vulnerable and you share what's happened in your life, what you're going to find is rejection. What you're going to find is that you don't belong. And actually, the, the reality, the truth is, is that you belong here. There's acceptance for you here. Amen, I'm going to start preaching in a minute. But, but there's acceptance for you here. There's love for you here. There's forgiveness for you here. There's family for you here. But the enemy tells you when you're truthful, when you're honest, when you're open, when you tell them you haven't read your Bible in a year, you've never read the Bible in your life. You're not a real Christian. How can you call yourself a Jesus follower? You've never put a penny in that offering basket. These are the lies that we allow to dictate how we behave and we act. And we hide ourselves behind a mask, behind a facade. If I was a real believer, I wouldn't be carrying this pain. I would have dealt with it. I wouldn't be carrying this hurt. I would have, I would have broken it. It's only through him and his Holy Spirit. And you weren't designed to do it alone. You were designed to be in family, in community. And let me tell you, when one of us wears a mask... When one of us takes the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira and one of us pretends to be better than we really are, it doesn't just hurt you, it doesn't just separate you from community, but it affects the community you're supposed to be part of. You are designed to be here, home. You're designed to be in family, accepted, just as you are. Stop pretending, stop believing lies. You are loved exactly how you are and it is only through the power of his spirit that you will be changed and transformed his power alone does it not you faking it till you make it 
Just allow him through the power of his spirit. The band are going to come up. We're going to sit in one last song of worship. But I just want to finish by pleading with you, begging you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning as a church. Be open, vulnerable. I know you've been hurt. I know there's been times you've been vulnerable with people and you've been hurt. I know the people who have been closest to you, who are supposed to care for you, have hurt you. But Jesus never will. He never will. Be real with him. And in time, you'll be more and more real with your family, with your church family. Ananias and Sapphira didn't need to do anything. They didn't need to give anything. They didn't need to be anybody. They needed to be exactly who they were. They needed to understand that they were accepted no matter what they did. But instead, they chose to have pretense, to be who they weren't, to pretend, to lie, to be deceitful. We want to be a truthful people, an honest people, a vulnerable people, a people who understand we're accepted, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Why don't we stand and just pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that this story is a blip in the New Testament. It's not a common occurrence that we see, but Lord, you use this moment to teach us a really valuable lesson. Lord, would we be a people like we prayed right at the beginning that have hearts to receive right now? How scandalous is the grace of God that I would find acceptance, that a sinner can come and find belonging and adoption from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How ridiculous is that story that you would leave your heavenly throne and come and die on a cross for me. And now because of you, Jesus, I find acceptance and belonging and Lord, you're asking me to bring all of me, to be open and honest, to not be deceitful, to not hide behind a mask or a facade, but Jesus, to be real with you, to give you all of me, not hold anything back, but all of me. Lord God, we, we repent of the moments that we've made ourselves out to be better than we really are. We understand that all have fallen short of the glory of God. But I thank you that the free gift is salvation through grace alone, through faith alone, in you alone, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for a fresh outpouring, a revelation of your love, your acceptance, your caring, your forgiveness right now. Just pour it out. Holy Spirit, come and meet us in this place. Come and fill our hearts again. Come and help us to understand who we are because of you. But Lord, thank you for who you are calling us to be, what you're calling us to build and be part of here as a family. Jesus, I repent of the moments where I've pretended. I repent of the moments where I've made out to be something I'm not. 
And Jesus, I pray by the power of your spirit that we would be moved towards one another and to you. That we would be a people who worship you in spirit and truth. Our whole hearts, Lord, here we are. Come and take us, Lord. Come and speak to us. Come and be with us. Come and overpower us, Lord. Holy Spirit, come right now. Let's worship together.